You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. This episode is brought to you by the Canadian Independent Comic Book Wiki a website dedicated to cataloging every Canadian-made independent comic book. We wish to make information on all Canadian indie comics readily available for years to come. With over 300 entries so far, we are your source for discovering more indie comics from across Canada. Anyone could add information, so please consider contributing by adding a page for your favorite comic books. You can find the wiki at Canadian Comic Books Wikia, that's W I. KIA.com or at Can Comics Wiki on Twitter. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fanboys and fangirls, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. A special thanks to Harry Tarantula for giving us all the support that we need. And don't forget that we're on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. That's where you can download all our episodes and all our shows on our network and uh, subscribe to us. Anyway, I want to get right into it because we have two very unique gentlemen here with us. We have Mike, just Mike, two eyes, and we have Todd Sullivan. Mike is the writer and Todd is the artist for Tommy Gun Banshee, a new independent comic that's being kickstarted for another five days. Uh, I'm really excited about this because, you know, it's basically like a crime story, but I think the person is, like, possessed by a banshee or something. I'll have to ask Mike about that. Mike, you may know already if you read uh, the Toronto Comics Anthology. He was involved in that. Uh, He was involved in Hogtown Horror, which is sort of the brother anthology, not associated with Teal Comics, but sort of spun off of that project. So, Mike, why don't we start with you? This seems to be your brainchild. Tell me a little bit about Tommy Gun Banshee. 
Uh, sure. So Tommy Gunbanshee is a story of a 1920s hitman for the Irish mob, and he's haunted by a banshee. Banshees are these Irish spirits that basically, um, they're said to like kind of wail and like lament the passing of a person. So the idea of it is he's this mob hitman, and every time uh, he has to do a hit and he has to take someone out, the banshee starts wailing, and it's this terrible noise that only the sound of his like Tommy gun can drown out. So it's this noir kind of pulpy book we got going here. Oh, so he's like tortured by this banshee. Yeah, he's kind of, it's kind of like a, they have a love-hate relationship for a lot of the of the comic. <laughs> nice, cool. And Todd, um, how did you hook up with uh, Mike on the, on doing the art and stuff? Well, we, we met at uh, Ty Templeton's um, writing course and uh, we were checking each other's work out. We got paired up in one of the assignments. And he was showing me some of his uh, short story ideas, little cartoons, and he showed me Tommy Gun Banshee, and I, I just loved it. I think I grabbed a copy, or you sent it yeah. to me, and I went home and I, I drew it in my style. And at first, I was worried. I was like, "Oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm being a jerk here." And uh, brought it back. Said, "What do you think?" And he liked it. And then we just got talking, and uh, we just kind of mentioned, "What do you think of doing this as a series?" Like. Didn't think about it and it just kind of went from there right because Tommy Gun Banshee was already like a short story right yeah we we did like kind of a uh I guess a primer or like a first episode type deal for one of the Toronto comics anthologies the second one there was a kickstarter and there was some bonus rewards that were like we'll print another story in these little minis and me and Todd at the time were had just been started kicking around the idea of working on it so we're like why don't we just do like a short to like test it out and like kind of it'd be like a like intro to the world so we did a five-page story called what the doctor ordered that was kind of set in toronto um and had a little bit of toronto in it but it was supposed to be kind of also an intro for like what we wanted to do with the character uh going forward yeah it's weird that like so many toronto creators have been uh, paired up at ty templeton's comic book boot camp and like a lot of people owe ty you know for the connections that they've made uh, yeah. at his classes so yeah. that's pretty awesome mike where did the original idea for Tommy Gun Banshee come from? How did uh, that get in your head? Are you are you influenced by noir a lot? Or? I I really like noir stories, and I I love like basically I I'm a sucker for any sort of like prohibition era kind of like gangster stuff. It was it's funny because you know I grew up watching like you know superhero movies and stuff too, but I also had a soft spot for like James Cagney and like old movies like that that no one else like I knew liked. So I was always wanting to do something in that era. And I always thought it would be fun to just have this like protagonist who was this kind of like gritty hitman, but like kind of what's the word for it? Go, go in and like kind of playing with it a little bit. Everyone has a nickname. Everyone's like kind of like a little bit tongue in cheek at times in the universe. And we just wanted to have fun in a noir setting. And basically like, I just came up with the phrase Tommy Gun Banshee one day and I, it stuck in my head. I'm like, that's a cool idea. And then it kind of went from there. And I just was like, oh, I'll write this uh, and I'll write this and I'll write that. And it, it, I don't know. It went from there. And then I showed it to Todd and he liked it a lot. So <laughs> what appealed to you about Todd and Todd's style? What made you want to work with him? Well, it was funny. We were like sitting in the class together and Todd's always like, oh man, like my, my writing wasn't so good there or whatever. But I was just like, <laughs> I kept looking at the little sketches he was doing and I was like, oh my God, he's really good at sketching all this stuff. His work is like, I don't know, like who, who are you mostly kind of like pulling from a lot of like, it's like Bernie Wrightson uh, stuff. It depends like, what like, I'm working on. Yeah. Because um, I grew up actually um, learning from drawing guys like John Buscema, 
Yeah. Mostly the Conan, Silver Surfer stuff, John Byrne. And those were, were the main guys. And uh, then later I got into Will Eisner. And yeah, it's weird. If I do a certain pose, you can kind of see John Buscema come out. If I do another pose, you see John Byrne, something else, and there's like a bit of Will Eisner. So it's, it's kind of worked into my style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I so, so because this is gangster, did yeah. you want to bring kind of a different flavor to it? Yeah, I I always like doing more real realism, okay. but uh, I studied animation, worked in it, I still work in it, and uh, life drawing was my strongest point. So I, I was always a stickler for um, anatomy. Not that it has to be dead on real, but I just preferred to be more realistic over cartoony kind of a cross between the two but yeah i just just like the more subtlety realism uh like what will eisner brought where he's more um the storytelling is in the emotion and the body language not so much dependent on crazy action and big bam and whap yeah. and, and i think that's like the thing like I, I like i saw all your sketches and i saw like that stuff and that was something that no one else in the class was doing or that people i knew were doing which isn't to say that other stuff is bad like i like a lot of different styles of art but it was just like it kind of fit i think yeah. what we wanted to do with it and i was like this is awesome well yeah as like his with his writing um half the time i'd be i'd be reading it and he'll, he'll write a description just for me so that I get the idea of the mood and stuff. And the way he'll write it, I'll be like, oh, this this has to be in text. I can't emulate <laughs> that just with uh, drawings. This is too good. We need to write this in. Forget the drawing part on this. Just write it, you know, and I'll just do like a silhouette or a close-up of a hand or something with his text. So, it, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we, we work well together that way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So, what originally brought you into uh, animation and stuff, Todd? How did you originally get into comics? Yeah, that's kind of the funny thing um, because I, I, I never wanted to be in animation. I took it because... Uh, at the time, there were were no comic book courses except for the Andy Kubert one in New York, and I was a bit of a, you know, home guy. I never ventured from home much because that's where my comics were. And where were uh, you originally from? Niagara Falls. Oh, nice. But I have a twin who was a huge Disney fan, so he was taking the animation, and I got talking to people there, and they said that uh, it would probably be a good course for comic books because it's closest related to it and so i thought oh, okay i'll take it and it just kind of went that way and by the time i graduated the uh industry kind of bottomed out there in the late 80s for comic books and so i thought well i've got work here i'll keep doing this and my layout my perspective and stuff was weak mm-hmm. so i didn't feel i was ready for comics yet and so then i just of course next thing you know you're You've got a wife, you've got a mortgage, things like that. I can't just drop it now. And uh, so finally, after a while, I just thought, no, I, I need to do this. And so I started taking the ties courses and uh, met Malcolm and thought, okay, this is a sign. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I have that, to do it. That's really cool. So in animation, what have you what have you worked on? Has it, Does anyone know any of the credits that you have? Or? Um, yeah, that's a funny thing because I, I taught for eight years at Seneca as well and uh, mostly life drawing but when I first started it was the students knew what 
I was doing. It was uh, Tiny Toons, uh, Darkwing Duck. Wow, these are all the cartoons I grew up with. That's just it. But as it got going, I'd I'd say stuff and they'd be like, yeah, my older brother watched that. (laughs) Now, you know, for the last year, I'd say, yeah, I think my dad watched that, you know, (laughs) so I could see the the generation gap getting far. What about Animaniacs? That was part of that. I never worked on that. Okay. Yeah, this stuff I do now is mostly um, preschool cool yeah. you, didn't you have like a credit on like watership down or something i did yeah my brother directed that and i did uh character design and storyboards i didn't so. know that he directed that yeah what yeah. The, series. Director, the series oh uh, the tv series yeah. cool. I'm, i like because it's funny because i remember watching that and i still remember like the theme song and everything oh really I, did he, I never, did he, was he responsible for that theme song i don't think so okay i'm gonna blame him anyways yeah <laughs> <laughs> what else is good like uh what about like gargoyles did you ever i work on didn't that? work on gargoyles okay. uh, the, the ones that come to my mind are the early ones tiny tunes darkling ducks uh i did a uh, harry and his bucket full of dinosaurs um that was fun. Uh, the Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that. That was just a few years ago. Nice. That's, that's awesome. That's still going, I think. So. That's awesome. So, and this is, is this all like by computer now or like? It's you... changed a lot. Yeah. Okay. When, when I started, it was all paper, just paper, pencils. Everyone had their erasers and all that. And uh, storyboarding, same thing. And we would have to take our boards to uh, Staples and photocopy them all and then ship the originals. And we had photocopies as a backup in case something happened. And then it got to the point where I was scanning them in, the drawings in, and sending them to them on disk. And now, of course, it's everyone's using the Wacom tablets. There's no more pencils. Uh, it's all done through the FTP sites. And it's weird now. I go into an animation studio and you think you're at ibm you know it's just computer screens everywhere there's no pencil or paper wow so you just you just draw like on the tablet like the thousands of images for the for the motion or yes yeah i'm I'm still somewhat old school i don't have the um tablet where you actually draw on the screen okay like paper i'm drawing on the pad and the line is coming up on the screen. So that, that took a while to get used to. Um, and it's not as accurate as doing it on the screen, but nice. I don't want to buy one of those. So. <laughs> okay, you don't want to switch. No, no, because I, I, like, I like old school. I like pencil and paper. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I'll, I'll use the, the Photoshop. I'll, I'll have to admit, like, even for the comics now and then, but 90% of the artwork is pencil on paper and then ink with a brush or a quill. Mm-hmm. But if I need to fix something or schedule time wise, I, I will use Photoshop to. So like growing out. up, did you, you collected comics or? Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, me and my brothers were right into it and pretty much everything. Uh, my favorite was Marvel, but uh, we had a lot of DC, a lot of, uh, uh, not so much EC at the time till I got older, but um, do you remember Gold Key? A little bit, yeah, vaguely. They, they describe it a little bit. Um, they did Ripley's, believe it or not, and the, the covers were always like a look like almost like an oil painting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've um, seen those. The classics. Uh, oh, we, I they probably did have Ivanhoe like illustrated Lord. those illustrated That's, classics, yeah, illustrated classics where they did like Moby Dick and yes. all this weird like old literature and stuff. Yeah, that, that was my introduction to uh, War of the Worlds. I had that one. That's, That's awesome. That was my favorite, and I think some. Some of the others that aren't around anymore, really. Yeah, Gold Key did a lot of um, 
more cartoony stuff for kids. I always see Gold Key Comics in like antique stores now. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of where where you see them. I think I have a bunch of like busted up ones like that are like, yeah. you know, kind of ripped and not really, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Cause like, you know, I grew up collecting superheroes. So like finding gold key was like, Oh, they did comics of this too. Like there's a comic <laughs> of this, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So it's yeah. cool. So cool. So Mike, I'm going to ask kind of you the same question. Like how did you get into comics? Where, where did you grow up? Uh, what, what was the genesis of your, your fandom? Well, I, I've always like been kind of like making comics since I was a little kid. My dad tells me stories of like, he had this long box of comics that he just had collected over the years. And I would always be down just like reading them in the basement. And like, I would spend hours and hours just reading these old, like back issues of like the incredible Hulk and stuff. And I like some of the first ones I remember reading were like, there's like this incredible Hulk issue where it was like, he was on a planet and he'd been sent there by like Doctor Strange because he was like too strong on like his other planets and he had this parasite on his back and it was like, it was so weird and so sci-fi and I loved it. And of course, no one I knew was like into comics. I would always reference these like weird things and they'd be like, I don't know what that is, Malcolm. Like, this is some weird thing you found in your basement. <laughs> but basically, I like, I always wanted to be a writer from like, since I ever, as long as I can remember. And then I lived in London, Ontario as a kid. I was born in Winnipeg and then I moved to London and then I came to Toronto for school and because I actually, the actually reason why I got into like Toronto comics and the Toronto comics scene is because uh, of the, um, you know the guys from Kill Shakespeare? Yeah, um, uh, Connor McCreary yeah. and I think Andy Belanger did the art for it yeah. and uh, Anthony Delcole. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, was, uh, it was Connor McCreary's fault because <laughs> basically I was in London, Ontario and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like I was like, in high school and I was like, I don't know, I wanted to make comics, but no one around me knows how to make comics and no one, no one is interested in this like me. And I went to, uh, they're having like a talk at a comic store there. And I asked them, I was like, how do I get into comics? And they're like, you need to move to Toronto and you need to live in a shitty apartment and you need to go to parties and you'll meet people and then you'll start making comics. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea because like, I'm this like high school kid. So I thought it was, I was like, that, that sounds like a better plan than what I had. So I like basically got into York university and started doing creative writing and just kind of like hanging out in places where there were comic book people, like, you know, 24 hour comic con- like conventions and going to conventions and talking. Eventually I found out about like Ty Templeton's courses and I was taking a writing course at the same time at York and that one was like so bad and terrible because they were like, you need to like feel the writing before you actually write the thing and you got to know the character's name before you can write them. And it was all this stuff about like, and they wouldn't let me write any genre fiction either. They were like, you can't write any like gangster stories or any like horror stories or, or fantasy stuff. Like it has to be like modern like you got to write like a Hemingway short story. And that's the only thing that's valid. And then at the same time in Ty's class, he's like, no, if you want to be a writer and you want to write stuff you enjoy, then write stuff you enjoy and just keep working at it. You don't need to have just put things on the paper. And I was like, okay. So I switched majors in the same class. I met Todd and I met Andrew Stevenson too. And Andrew, me and Nelson, who was another student um, in the same program, we us three got together and started the Toronto Comics Anthology, 
in that same like year. So and this was all at Ty Templeton's uh, yeah, class, right? It was all through Ty's class, yeah. And you're going to York at the same time, listening yeah. to the BS from the teachers there. And <laughs> I would, then, yeah, I would have a class at York in the morning for writing and a class at night downtown for Ty. And so it'd be funny because I would go to this class in the morning and it would just be like, oh, you just feel your writing, you'll get it eventually. And then I would go downtown and Ty's like, okay, get this, write this right now, like write a page right now, get this done. Here's how to form the story. And I was like, this is like a world of difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was really great. It's interesting when you get like such an insight into like the highfalutin liberal arts education system <laughs> and then you go and you know get a dose of reality it's it's yeah. a very you're very lucky to have that perspective at the same time because i think a lot of people get like lost in their education and then discover what it really is like years later and it sort of puts them behind a little bit yeah so yeah that's For awesome sure. um so you guys started the toronto comics anthology yeah um i've gotten this story from nelson and and andrew a little bit but like what what was your part in it how did you uh you know get together with them well after the classes like andrew was very eager to do something in comics and he wanted to start something um and he, you know, he basically, I think, grabbed me and Nelson and us three got together because I think he felt like we were the ones who really wanted to push to do something, like to like have a start and like find something to do. So we got together and we like hashed out ideas. We had some initial ideas for like, oh, maybe an anthology about this or that. And there's some fantasy ideas we kicked around. And then eventually we, we had brought it to Ty himself and we were like, Ty, like, you know, we're considering a few different like things but we're trying to find like a, a niche like something to really go for and he was like i think it was ty who first said maybe do a stories set in the city you live in like in your local place and like we all kind of like loved it instantly so we started you know putting out a call to people we knew and like organizing stuff and like i was doing like some social media stuff for the first like you know for the first uh, Toronto comics. And it was like, it was a very interesting learning process of like, you know, I was definitely the youngest member on like the, t I think I was still like, I think I was like 17 at the time or something or you were 19, still 17. <laughs> <laughs> like 17, 18 or something like that. Like when we did the first book. So I was still kind of like, what's happening. I'm learning all this stuff for the first time, but yeah, it, it's gone so quick. Like I, yeah. Like how long ago was it? It's like, five years yeah like when i think about it it feels like two yeah because that's why why didn't you like, say oh like mention your age i mean you're a young guy anyways yeah. but i think i literally was like when we started the toronto comics anthology i was just turning 18 and so i like yeah Man. because like we were trying to set up like a bank account and all this stuff and i legally couldn't be on the bank account information because i was technically still like not allowed to do like some banking or something oh, man. so we're, i was just like okay well that sucks like it'll have to be andrew and nelson for that but i'm like team spirit here guys like you know <laughs> it was it was fun and you know we all helped kind of edit the first stories and stuff and me and todd actually did the first i think it's the first story in the very first toronto comics anthology yeah the, the uh, blackout like blackout that was like a yeah. idea we worked on together and so yeah 
And that's when where your pen name was born, right? Yeah, that was like I had to find a pen name for like some like personal reasons, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do, and I was like, I like Mikey because it sounds like or Mike because it sounds kind of close to like Malcolm already, but I can't think of what to follow it with because my last name like is Derek's, and I was like, oh, I got to think of something, <laughs> like something to go with it, and then I was like that's good enough like so the first few books i was credited as that because it was kind of this i think running joke of like i'll eventually figure out something to put after <laughs> which is kind of a dumb so joke it was literally like mike something like mike something like he'll, he'll figure it out later and then i just figured i'll just drop that part and just be like mike and it'll be my comics kind of like name uh, that I do comics under. That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> so then you went from there, you went to Hogtown Horror, right? Yeah. Um, and then I was uh, editor on Hogtown Horror. We really wanted to do uh, a genre book after having so much uh, Toronto comic stuff. So me and Nelson kind of brought a team together and we said we wanted to make uh, like a full color book, which at the time we hadn't done yet for Toronto comics. So we're like, this is kind of ambitious. We want to make like a full color book in the same length of time it was to make like a Toronto Comics black and white book. And we've never done it before. And it's going to be like a horse like anthology. So that was a little bit like much, but at the same time, like it was kind of like, it's kind of nice to like throw yourself in the deep end sometimes. Yeah. And it was the real deep end. Like, yeah. Hogdown Horror, it was great and like really experimental, but then there were a lot of things like along the way that like you yeah. guys were still working through and got messed up and stuff. Oh, for and sure. That kind of thing. So, yeah, I think like for me personally also, like I'm, um, I feel like, like my personality is that if I get too comfortable in a place, I'll like stagnate. So I'm always kind of throwing myself in the deep end on projects because I'm like, if I do that, then I'll eventually figure it out like I've done with everything else and it will be okay. So like Toronto Comics being like, let's make a book. I've never made a book before, but I guess I'm going to be an editor on it. I'm going to make this thing. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but I figured it out. And then Hogtown was another one of those where I was like, I've never done this before, but if I just say like, it's okay, I'll figure it out later, that might not ever show up. And it's the same thing with Tommy again, actually, like it was kicking around for so long. And then eventually we're like, we should just make a thing and let's figure it out and let's throw ourselves in the deep end on it. And it's turned out really good so far. So when you left uh, Toronto Comics Anthology for Hogdown Horror with Nelson, that's like two thirds of the editorial team at the time. Yeah. What? Were there any discussions with with Andrew about like we want to do this? Was he like totally behind it or? Oh yeah, like we we had a few discussions about it, and I think in a weird way, I think Andrew is like, and because you've met Andrew, he's yeah. a intensely intensely like good at like organization and like he's a like a very strong like managing personality and that's why toronto comics runs so well i think is because he's there at the helm kind of being like we're going to do it like this we're going to do this um, and he's very honest very accountable. he's honest he's very like yeah, yeah he's super accountable and he's he's a nice guy um and I think at, at the time we were like, we want, I wanted to try something really new. And I think Nelson did too. He Nelson really wanted to do like a horror book. And Andrew was like, well, I think we should stick with this, like with what we got going. And we were like, okay, well, we're going to go and make this one. It wasn't like a, like a weird break or anything because we were still like, everyone would hang out. And it was like people from Toronto comics came over to Hogtown and vice versa. 
I don't think it was ever like kind of like a weird bad thing. And in fact, like a lot of the like Kickstarter campaign of that and like just organization of that, Andrew was like there, like giving us advice and really helping kind of push it forward. Um, and I did a lot for Hogtown of just like, you know, yelling at things until like it got like to Kickstarter and yelling at things until it like got made. But a lot of that like advice and stuff was because like, you know, Andrew's like, Hey, like, you know how, remember we did this on, you know, volume one or two, like try something like this. And so he's was intensely helpful. And at the same time, he already had met Allison and, and Aaron and, they were like in the process of like for the for volume three having them as assistant editors um going forward and that was all like just happening and that was all cool it's really interesting because it's like you were still contributing to toronto comics anthology the subsequent volumes as well right yeah and i'm actually going to be the editor on the next uh, book as right. well so i'm excited to do that with stephanie or um, yes with stephanie and with uh with megan and and yeah we're going to be the editing kind of team on that nice you guys can uh, listen to our interview with stephanie cook it's a few episodes back from this one and uh, and megan carter as well uh, she's been in here uh, to do an episode, so look in our archives if you want to learn more about those oh, cool. ladies. Mm -hmm. So, Todd, now that you're doing like Tommy Good Manchi, mm -hmm. and it's being kickstarted, where do you guys want to take this? Like, oh. is this the new? What's what? What's the future of this? You just decided to do it as an ongoing. Uh, were you inspired by the short story at first, and then you were like, "We should really do this as like an ongoing series." Yeah, it was um, one of those things where we would have all these ideas, and I'll get a lot of ideas, but I have no real storyline. <laughs> you know, I just kind of get scenarios. So I, a lot of times I'll just harass Malcolm with these ideas. Can you throw this in, you know? And um, so because of so much material, just the way it's been going, we just feel, well, let's just see where it goes. How long can it go? We want to do at least six issues so we can do like a graphic novel. But um, we think it's it's got a lot of legs. Uh, what one thing which I like about it is um, it's so different. We've got a couple of other ideas of different stories, and um, we at first we're shopping them around at different publishers, and they were liking them. But with Tommy, the the reaction was always we like it, but we don't know if it fits with what we do. And at first it, it kind of bugged us, but then later I think we thought, hey, this is great because it's its its own genre, really. Yeah, you've d you've discovered a unique thing that no one has tapped into yet. Yeah, it's almost like a <laughs> macabre noir or something. Yeah, I, like I don't know, but so yeah, and it just, and we just decided, well, let's do our own. Let's publish our, ourselves because um, nothing wrong with, going with the other guys but we just thought and i think part of this was just me working in animation so long that you know you're always doing someone else's story someone else is directing it someone else is calling the shot they you know it's not art right you know and right right away before we even um got even said yeah we'd love to work with you they were suggesting changes right you know so yeah. like, uh, no thanks i do that all day so <laughs> we thought, ah, we'll do what we want and yeah. we'll do it our way and uh, yeah that's awesome uh i want to talk to you guys about sort of the genre like this you know obviously uh mike you were you were doing things like uh you know you're watching scarface and like murder inc and those sorts of things what appeals to you about 
this genre of like gangster movies and why did you make the decision to fuse it with horror the appeal for gangster films and that kind of aesthetic to me i think is like it's a lifestyle and like uh it's well first off it's so far from like me as a person too which is like the funny thing people will always be like no we always write these stories with gangsters and stuff but you're like this like kind of quiet well not quiet but you're you're a very kind person and you're you're very low-key you're not exactly about to go out and like break someone's legs or something but you write that all the time and i think it's like part like you know there's an escapism element to it and there's just this like it's therapy it's yeah therapy <laughs> yeah and it's it's like there's just something like watching those movies like for me it's like this is someone who's very confident like whenever you see like a character like um like james cagney or someone it's like they're confident they're cool they know what's going on and they don't know what's going on like just in like on the surface level they got like the underworld level they know who's calling the shots here in the city they gonna know like this guy this guy and that always just like appealed to me that kind of like someone who like is keeps their cool but like knows what's going on and I just kind of like fell in love with that idea and taking like your piece of like, you know, the pie sort of, so to speak, like a lot of gangster movies are, you know, they're about individuals who commit crimes because, you know, they want to get rich. They want like the money, the drugs, the girls or something. And there's like this very individualistic kind of like ambitious quality of these characters that I like to see and like to like explore, I guess, because like. I don't know. It's just, it's fun to like do that stuff. And with horror elements, I just also like creepy things. I think I've, I, I noticed I have a tendency to write stuff with ghosts in it or, or monsters or supernatural elements that, you know, might necessarily not be explained like completely, but at the same time, it's like, it gives a particular vibe and like helps like kind of like further the aesthetic of the piece. So like, for example, with this, like, the banshee and everything that the banshee is it's it's like it helps like extend the it just adds more dimension yeah it extends the that's, myth yeah like that's yeah that's where i was okay. yeah yeah and it just um gives uh the main character nikki it's tempting to call him tommy gun all the time <laughs> but his his actual name is nikki and um it just gives him more more depth yeah. You know, he's not just some cold guy. He's got, especially these days, everyone seems to have anxieties of something, you know. And um, he's haunted. He's got these, he has a sense of morals, as, although like different than most of us. You know? But for a, for a, a hitman, he, he's uh, somewhat moralistic, though, but he's... Uh, He's got like a ghost on his back, literally. Yeah. Like, it's like, that's the thing, I guess, that I was trying to get at before. It's like, he's he's got this ghost that's like riding him and, 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 and she won't leave him. And most of the time he's like tormented by that. Yeah, because he's not sure, is this in his head? Yeah. Is it real? If it's real, what for? Why him? You know? Yeah. And a lot of like, why questions? Like, why me? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that actually fits too the whole gangster stuff. It's like why me, why not me? You know, like a lot of gangster movies are like why why don't why does that guy get this and I don't? So I'm yeah. gonna get it too, you know. And I yeah. guess that's it. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of gangsters is like the world's my oyster. I can take whatever I want. Yeah. But then in modern day, I mean, we saw this with Sopranos. That was the first time I saw a gangster with anxiety. Like Tony Soprano is yeah. like going to his therapist all the time. Yeah. And that sort of thing. And this is sort of a, you know, 1920s extension of that where every time you kill someone, you're going to be hearing about it 
from from this banshee in the back mm-hmm. and uh the guilt is just gonna like foment for yeah. like the rest of your the rest of your life right yeah and and that's the thing too like you know 1920s for sure were were you know different times but like people had anxiety back then people had like you know depression people had oh, yeah. ghosts like riding them but it's always funny because like in obviously in those old movies and stuff they they don't mention that stuff no but that stuff's like people have had anxiety since like the dawn of time people have been like haunted by stuff since the dawn of time yeah it's just one of those things where it's it's almost like um i don't know if it's on the rise or that is just the popular name you know before i was just oh he's a pretty nervous guy you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, like now we have like PTSD. Yeah, and oh, a yeah. lot of people going to war and yeah. suffering psychologically and stuff yeah. like that. So. And like we understand that better now. And I think it's like a the banshee and the whole like kind of um, thing is guilt and like this thing following him around. There are shades of like we're trying to pull in like shades of that too and like treating it like kind of like as a serious thing too within this like fun setting. But like you know, it is he is like a haunted character and he's supposed to. You know, you you feel sorry for him a lot of the time for what's happening. He was also a hitman, so I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he's still killing people. He's still he's still killing. And I mean, guys. it makes sense too because a lot of the gangsters were sort of like tormented survivors of World War One. Yeah, right? like exactly. that was sort of yeah. how they became gangsters, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. people who wanted to like continue the momentum of war in their you know regular life because they were like altered by the like action and stress yeah. of it and they just couldn't get away like they couldn't yeah. get away from it right yeah. yeah in fact you get that now you you get yeah. uh, soldiers coming back with a ptsd if i said that right and um where a lot of them wish they were back there because yeah. it's just you know there's that camaraderie there Again, it's that adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. You get people into speed, you get people into bungee jumping, whatever, just to get that rush. And these guys are thrown into it, whether they wanted to or not, very young. And then to come back to society and just yeah. try and fit in again, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, Plus, like- as you said too, come back, now you've got to find work. Well, what are you good at? I don't killing people. Yeah, you know? like one of the one of the like my favorite movies is uh, it's called The Roaring Twenties. Did you see that one? No, it's, it's like Cagney and like Humphrey Bogart's in it too. Actually, oh, he's great. and and it's like it starts literally with three soldiers and they're in World War One and it's like the final days of the war and they're like, what are you gonna do when you get back? Like, we're gonna oh, I'm gonna do this and like Bogart's like the bad guy in it, so he's like it's kind of cool because he's usually like the protagonist, but he's like oh, I'm gonna go get my piece of the action or whatever, and they they go back and it's like they very quickly go into this kind of criminal activities and criminal lifestyle because it's like that's kind of just what happened you know i think like it's no surprise that like the roaring 20s there was this influx of like you know criminal violence and activity with like so many people coming back and like you know just the entire you know united states just shifting and like shaking with like prohibition and all this other stuff yeah you know for sure yeah and the fbi wasn't organized for gangster activity then yeah like Man. for a long time they didn't believe the mafia existed or no. they refused to acknowledge it existed yeah which is like a thing that is kind of interesting like they would be like oh there's no way like you know like italian americans could organize this like big covert organization that's no way they could do that mm-hmm. and then eventually when it started becoming clear they're like oh no like we messed up and it was like i think it was like it was a, like 
they knew for a while, but they were kind of burying it for a bit because they didn't want to let people know that, like, you know, criminals did have these, like, large swaths of, like, power yeah. um, in cities and urban cities. Yeah. And, and, and even the smaller ones, like the Bonnie and Clydes and Dillingers and that, they, they weren't part of a big organization, but they had free reign, main, mainly because at the time it was you, you went to town to town, city to city. It was you had your local sheriff, you know. Yeah. It was um, back then they didn't have the communication with yeah. other towns. They had to buy their own gun, their own car. They're not going to afford the things these guys got, you know. Yeah. And uh, so they've just ripped through a town and yeah. on to the next one. And, and as soon as you hit the border of a state, like the police can't follow you. Yeah. Right? It's like a whole nother jurisdiction. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, of like the criminal underworld and that whole idea. It's like you know a guy in this city you know a guy in that city and like you hear things but like it's things that like carry um almost like at a slower pace than like in in today's age and i kind of like that actually like the whole like oh i know this guy here i've heard this story about this guy over here and you know mm-hmm. like nicknames and aesthetics like that and like oh there's these guys they did this job over here it's like it's a cool way for information to travel, I guess, is what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. And this sort of thing we're talking about seems to happen every era. Like, the Hells Angels and the One Percenter Biker Gangs were created from, like, Vietnam veterans. Yeah. And stuff, too. So, yeah. I mean, there, there seems to be... It just seems to repeat itself every yeah. time. Like, war and then gangsterism sort of follows. Well, that's just that. it. And it, it's... This is far enough away, like in time, that it's almost romanticized, like like pirates. They were the same thing. They were, you know, Navy guys that no more war. What do you do? Let's go no rob jobs. Some let's let's be pirates. You yeah, know, right? And they were the scourge, just like today. It's like you don't look at bikers and these, you know, people that as a like criminal as, kind of organization. Yeah, as romantic. Yeah, there's, it's a little bit closer to us, so it's scarier kind yeah. of. And yeah, gangsters with noir and with like the whole like, you know, dime novels and like everything, it's been romanticized to such a degree yeah. that like it is a little bit like we can't examine it like critically, like how we want to and like take stuff seriously. But at the same time, it's there is a fun kind of like ness yeah. to like indulging in that a little bit yeah and they kind of got lucky like the 1930s gangsters because they rose at the same time that hollywood was rising and looking oh, yeah. for yeah content. They, they, they were basically so celebrities obviously probably. hollywood is like perfect like, yeah we don't even need to write the movies because yeah. it's happening well, i mean like it's like bugsy siegel would like he, he made like las vegas basically you right. know what i mean like bugsy's like this guy he ran with like al capone and like all these other guys and he he was like the mob's connection like west and he like basically started a lot of casinos in las vegas and he was like this guy who liked to hobnob with like you know the celebrities over there mm. and like he liked to be in the spotlight and he eventually got killed i think for that like because he he started all these casinos and he couldn't pay back the mob's money and someone put a hit out on him and he got taken out but i think there's something to be said about that gangsters are these people who are like within like in, they're they're almost like mythical and they're almost like you know we're ambitious we need all of it also hollywood's like you know it rewards people who are ambitious and who want all of it and want to be in the spotlight well and they're they're creating the myth yeah like yeah like they they grew up at a time they rose at a time when hollywood needed content and hollywood you know putting them in their media just 
contributes and increases the romanticism and yeah. increases the the whole legend of all of them yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. like the imagery of like you know when when we think of like you know like a, a gangster from that era it's like he's like cool he's smoking a cigarette and he's got his he's like don't worry about it like i'll take care of this or whatever or like ah like you know it's like don't worry about the bodies in the trunk or something it's like it's there's this there's all these like you know notes and like elements that we like we look to that when you think about them they're actually terrifying oh yeah but like it's romanticized and so it's kind of like oh it's fun it's you know yeah right yeah and from on the art side too just the the whole era um before the second world war there was you know everything was artistic you know you you went to a hotel if there was a uh, uh elevator that wrought iron it was all very detailed and you know right down to the light switch everything had was ornate yeah the yeah. architecture yeah. was yeah. Like Ar- art deco right? style the clothes yeah. they wore the the cars everything was had style yeah you know um so researching that and you know and we, we both really research everything we try and make sure just like even tommy gun i'm trying to make sure i've got the right era like we're not saying what specific year in the 20s we are but we it's prohibition but you know i'm just trying to make sure it's like yeah. okay this is what's the clothing this was how they wore it and yeah nice and, and you also have to research the mythology of like the banshee right yeah because this guy is an irish gangster for a reason it's an irish legend yeah so he's an irish gangster yeah so like you're sort of doing double duty because you're you're having to uh, research and really in depth into the prohibition era, but then also really into like Irish mythology yeah. and that sort of stuff. And like Irish mythology is like, it, it's actually super fascinating. And I think mm-hmm. it gets glossed over a lot when you think of mythology topics, because people are like Greek, like Norse, Egyptian, maybe. And then it's like Irish mythology. Oh, it's, you know, it's this or that. But like banshees are this super fascinating like there's a concept of like the idea of a house banshee where it's like if you're from a noble irish family um your family will have its own personal banshee like a personal ghost who will haunt your family and every time a king or a noble person dies the banshee will wail for you and it became almost like a like a a sign of nobility and like that isn't to say that it's like we're pulling everything from banshee mythology for our stuff but at the same time like that was super fascinating to look into and like like research and we wanted to make sure that we had as much information on that as possible before we like went ahead and started uh the story yeah and it's so interesting because just like irish mythology gets overlooked i feel like the irish side of the mafia always gets overlooked yeah yeah that's one reason why we kind of went with the irish just because they're a bit more I don't know what the like, word is. Uh, it was like, um, well, it, it, it's like the reason more, why. More rough around the edges. Yeah. More rough around the edges. And I think that's the reason why we don't think of the Irish mob a lot more because like basically like in the in the 1920s era when all this stuff was happening, um, the Italian Americans, a lot of the early kind of like mob five families, they got together and were like, we need to have a thing. It needs to be like Italian American thing. We won't fight with each other. We'll have an organization and we'll stop being like, you know, violent on the streets. And the Irish gangs were not like that. And they would fight constantly with each other and there'd be vendettas. There'd be like, like one of the most famous like Irish gangsters was this guy, Mad Dog Cole, who invented the uh, drive-by shooting actually. 
he's the first person in recorded history who apparently like figured out that you could shoot someone while driving through by with a car and he famously like got involved in like a kidnapping case that turned bad he got he got killed but basically the irish kept fighting each other and they they warred with each other to such an extent that the italian americans found it very easy to kind of their mob came in and, and managed to sweep up a lot of the like kind of leftovers because there was no coherent system it was like we'll pick this gang off and then this gang off and like the yeah, same valentine's they would day do deals and, with the uh, italians for their self yeah. gain and then once yeah. uh, they got rid of helped uh, the italians get rid of their competition they just kind of took over theirs because yeah. they were bigger there's no organization so like they could separate them and isolate them and yeah like kill them whenever they want whenever yeah they wanted to mm-hmm. and, and that isn't to say that there's not famous irish gangs and there were like organ there were some groups that were really like you know notoriously strong criminal gangs that like ran for a few decades or so but you definitely like the, when you think mafia it's it's you know it's an italian american thing for a reason because they like gave it order and they made it work and they made it like everyone made a lot of money if you were in the mafia mm-hmm. in that era whereas if you're an irish gangster like you would make money with maybe with the italians as an associate but you could not become part of the mob because you have to be full like full-blood italian to become part of like the mafia well and even in modern times the irish gangsters sort of took a back seat because you know you had in boston which is notoriously yeah. an irish town you still had raymond patriarca who, and yeah. doing like the new england thing and he was like the big italian guy who controlled in new england and it wasn't really until whitey bulger that yeah. that yeah. stopped happening and yeah. it became uh, you know, he became more di- dominant as yeah. an Irish gangster in an Irish place. Yeah. Like we've seen like in the modern day with a lot of like criminal underworld stuff, like uh, some of that stuff has, has gone a bit out the window. Like, um, like it's still the same. Like you can't be a member of the mafia if you are like Italian, for example, or sorry, if you're Irish, for example, but um, there's much more willingness to associate with other groups and like, like Italian, uh, I think it's like, it's like the Italian mafia considers like the Albanian mob to be like a sister organization because they're like, we're kind of from the similar kind of, you know, Mediterranean area. Albanian mob runs a certain way. You're, we're, we'll be friends and um, cooperate together. So there's more kind of intermingling. But like, I think, yeah, back in the 20s, it was very much like if you were in an Irish gang, you would be usually fighting with other Irish gangsters and then the Italians would probably like clean you up at the end of the day because they had the organization and they had the manpower um, just by sticking together and not feeding off each other. Is that sort of thing, like the threat of not only fighting within your own ranks, but then fighting with the Italian mafia, is that going to come into Tommy Gun Manchi? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We want to explore that for sure, like in, in the story and like even issue two, which we're working on right now, it has elements of that of like, you know, Nikki's coming back um to you know his hometown after being away for a little bit and he's trying to finally like you know put a dent in what is the banshee like why is it stalking him at the same time he's coming back and he's finding that stuff has changed you know there's a lot more like um like in issue two there is like a prominent like kind of italian american like gang that is like they run a lot of stuff in the town and they've, they've kind of taken over from like the previous uh kind of irish kind of gangsters that nikki was more familiar with so he's kind of in hostile territory right from the get-go uh because he's this remnant of a past organization and you know 
um, he's trying to get used to like the new way of things and we're trying to harness like what actually happened, um, but not be kind of like, you know, married to the historical facts. So, you know, Scarface and like Al Capone isn't going to be in it, but you know, there's going to be like kind of, we're pulling from the same source material and the same elements there. There's going to be a lot of the same flavor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, like, to your point earlier about, like, how, you know, the modern gangsters seem to mix and not really stick to their original, like, you can't be Italian, I think, I think really what it comes down to is, like, publicly, they're all about their allegiances, but, like, at the end of the day, it's about money. Yeah. And what, who can they partner with to make the most money? And oh, yeah. That sort of thing, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing of it is like, it is, it goes back to the individual kind of like, how do I get rich? Like, how do I get the power? Right. Um, and it's always, you know, been about that. And it's just now people are more willing to, I think, be like, okay, I will work with whoever possible to get my share of it. Well, yeah. And in the 1920s, everyone says like, there used to be a code that like people stuck to. Yeah. But now there's no code. It's like, I'm going to yeah. kill who I need to kill and I'm going to make the money I need to make and the deals I need to make. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I think yeah. they, they organized because it was just getting so out of hand. Right. It's like every day someone's getting hit on. Someone's getting shot yeah. or, you know, and they had a problem of the time organization too had a problem initially of like you know all right i'm the boss of bosses i will all right i'm in charge now and then someone would take them out and be like now there's no more boss of bosses except me i'm in charge now and then it would be this cycle kind of thing until they finally were like nope there's five families now mm -hmm. we're each equal we can't put hits out on each other unless it's authorized by the commission you know like yeah right um Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all very, like, hypocritical, too. Like, you know, like, they, they have the organization. It's all great, whatever. But, you know, it, for convenience sake, they'll do whatever they, they, do whatever they want kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. You know? it, it's certainly a thing of, like, it's like, we have a code. But it's like, when you think about it, it yeah, it's super hypocritical. Well, it's yeah. Super... I mean, it's, it's pretty grim when you consider they look at murder as business. Right. Yeah. It's just a part of business. It's like, it's like this guy, okay. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Dead. Yeah. Awesome, man. So, I mean, now that you're you're doing the Kickstarter and that sort of thing, like, what what is the plan for the Kickstarter? I know you guys have a bunch of uh, great rewards that people can donate to. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about like why people should donate to this. What do they get out of it? And uh, you know what your plans are for the where the money's going and stuff. Well, so the plan for the Kickstarter money is uh, we have issue one that we basically got together and printed ourselves on this kind of like newsprint paper um it's really kind of old school kind of comics aesthetic but we wanted the kickstarter to be for you know like issues one and two like we wanted to give people like more content basically so instead of offering kind of like oh just the primer the first issue what the main kickstarter reward is is that you get issues one and you get issues two so you get a collection of short stories first that are kind of like giving you a bit of a feel about the universe and then the kind of like first part of an overarching ongoing story with him um, with the Tommy Gun Banshee. So that's our like main kind of thing for the campaign. The money's going to like the printing costs and we put a little bit in there to like just give us like room to breathe of yeah. like, you know, like I work like four or five jobs. Like Todd has an animation gig that like it's full. It's, it's full time. Yeah, it's a lot. We work dumb hours and we fall asleep in coffee shops and stuff and like <laughs> we we're basically like just asking for money for printing costs of course and then just a little bit to help us take the time to actually do the story right and do it properly um and some of the cool like rewards that we have 
like our um i don't know if it'll be it might be gone actually by the time this comes out because like so many people have backed this one specifically but we had the a most wanted reward yeah that's doing really well it's like we're so, gonna be busy <laughs> yeah the idea of it is that we're gonna be making these individual wanted posters for a backer that if you back us for this amount on on a kickstarter you'll get a little picture of you in a police lineup with like your little number and your gangster kind of persona and we'll write a little like biography history of who you are that'll be shipped to like the backer right individually wow yeah i gotta get on this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and um we have some other ones too like even higher than that we have a little reward where it's basically we're willing to draw people into the comic as a as an extra kind of gangster character like we'll work with them to make their like little persona for themselves and then they will appear uh in issue two fighting against the tommy gun banshee basically in a in a in a well what's supposed to be what's going to probably be a, a cr pretty crazy shootout um so it's kind of a, like hey i'm going to be in the comic book too kind of reward yeah yeah that's awesome that's really cool thanks um yeah i mean this sounds really great i'm i really dig gangster stuff gangster history i mean we went really deep there for a bit yeah. on uh, on the gangster stuff <laughs> yeah so uh so i'm i'm really excited about this and i and i hope people uh, check it out uh one of the great things about kickstarter is you know if you're if you're all around the world you can get these independent comics from toronto and still have them them and still get a copy and still support it yeah so uh, there's really no excuse <laughs> anyway um where can people find you on uh social media How, and where can they look into your careers and uh, see some of the other stuff that you've done so um we have two main things right now we have a twitter and facebook page uh for blue banshee press instagram oh yeah we have an instagram too for it yeah. um blue banshee press is kind of our our like you know our independent publishing house at the moment we want to do other stuff under that name um but if anyone wants to just search blue banshee press on facebook or instagram and then our twitter is blu banshee press because of twitter's like character limit i think uh but yeah that's where they can find us and we'll be posting about this and if there's any other projects that will be coming up we'll be you know posting stuff under there too but mainly it's tom again there yeah Nice. Do you guys have any like websites, like personal stuff or anything like that? Not really. Not at the moment. Like we're considering it like going forward, but I think it was just the Kickstarter was so much at the moment. We're like, we want to make sure we do this right. We'll figure out, uh, you know, if there will be a hub website for it later. Right. Um, awesome. Yeah. I have some artwork on Behance, the online portfolio. Okay. Uh, just go... I guess uh, you would just Google my name, Behance Online Portfolio. Behance being like B-H-A-N... Uh, B-E-H-A-N-C-E. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks, you guys. This has been awesome. Uh, Todd, you've been drawing this whole time while we've while we've been talking? Yeah, yeah. it's looking good. That's awesome. It's doing like kind of... Wow, that's awesome. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah. All right, well, you'll see that on on our instagram and uh and uh our twitter uh when this uh, comes out and even on our fan page so if you if you want to see what todd drew uh just uh go to our instagram speech bubble pod go to our facebook page speech bubble pod like us in both places follow us on instagram like us on facebook and uh follow us on twitter too at speech bubble pod uh we're the same 
everywhere so uh, nobody gets confused <laughs> anyway uh, i want to thank you guys for coming in and thank you to uh the listeners for continuing to listen and don't forget to subscribe at apple Podcasts. don't forget to visit neversleepsnetwork.com for this and some of our other shows and don't forget to visit our sponsor harry tarantula uh, they sell some great comic book stuff uh, down there in north toronto so uh tell tell leon that uh, i said hi and we're we're still working at this whole podcast thing anyway we'll see you next time on speech bubble this has been speech bubble see you in the future friends never sleeps network this has been a never sleeps network production executive produced by alex ross for more information and content visit neversleepsnetwork.com again fanboys and fangirls Aaron Broverman here thank you for listening to Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network I wanted you to know that NSN features other amazing podcasts created right here in Toronto comedy and wrestling fans check out Casey Corbin's wrestling podcast Talk and Wrestling here on NeverSleepsNetwork.com thanks for listening